Well, good morning, VRBC. In person, online, it's great to start this new series with you uh, from First John called Walkathon. You know, recently I was watching uh, what I believe is an incredibly well done video series on the Gospels. It's called the, the Chosen. I don't know, if, has any of you seen The Chosen? I see some hands out there. Now, full disclosure, I am not always impressed with the quality of Christian media, but I love The Chosen. Uh, as with most projects of its kind, the, the authors imagine um, a lot of activity and dialogue that's not actually found in the Gospels, so, so a lot of it is, is fictionalized. But, but I feel like these scenes are, are, are plausible. But more than anything, I think, the series has helped me imagine what it must have felt like to be one of those original disciples. And you know, one of the things that I've concluded, maybe that not the most theologically rich insight, but one of the things that I've concluded is that the original disciples and Jesus must have been in great physical shape because they walked everywhere. Uh, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they stopped for a late breakfast. They've already got like 12,000 steps on their Fitbit. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. The, the New Testament talks a lot about walking with Jesus. And, and while you and I can, can't travel back in time uh, to those early days, we are, in a sense, invited as 21st century disciples to walk step by step with Jesus. And so, as John mentioned, we're launching this series uh, and, and we're looking at this disciple, John, who as best he could kept in step with Jesus. And we want to see what John has to say about walking. And, and today it's going to be walking in the light. And so as I read our passage to you from 1 John chapter 1, listen for themes of light and listen for themes of darkness. Hear the word in the, of the Lord. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. May God bless the reading of his word. In my six decades of living, there are no telling how many times I have sustained injuries while engaging in a very dangerous sport. You wanna know what the sport is? Walking in the dark. Maybe I got home late from a date in high school. Perhaps as a young dad, I was trying to navigate to a 
the room of a toddler who was crying in the middle of the night, or maybe I was just trying to find the bathroom in an unfamiliar home where I was staying. But over the years, I have accumulated stubbed toes and bruised knees and little bruises on my shoulder where I hit kind of the door frame and, 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 and all different kinds of injuries walking in the dark. And I bet many of you have as well. Well, in today's passage, we want to talk about walking in spiritual darkness. And we want to talk about the power that comes from walking in the light of Jesus Christ. Now, because the Apostle John talks about the good news of light and the bad news of of darkness, we're going to talk about both. In fact, in the sermon, here's kind of the structure. I want to give you the good news, and then I want to give you the bad news, and then I want to give you the good news in the midst of the bad news. So we start with good news, wonderful news for every one of us who through faith have professed Jesus Christ as Lord. Jesus Christ as our Savior and Jesus Christ as our Lord. And that good news is about our identity. And our identity is we are people of the light. People of the light of Jesus Christ. Do you, remember, do you remember when you were a kid and, and uh, maybe you, you had a bad dream or there was a, uh, like an overcoat hanging from a door and you thought it was some dark ghost making their way toward you and you cried out in the middle of the night and mom or dad came in. Maybe the first thing they did was they flipped on a lamp and then they sat down by your bed and they probably stubbed their toe, by the way, uh, on their way in. But do you remember just that sense of instantaneous relief when the light came on? and your parent was with you. Well, the Apostle John wants us to know that this, in a sense, is what happens to the world when Jesus comes to the earth. John wants you to know, too, that as he says in the opening words of this letter, this is no nice religious fable intended to make a good moral point. No, this happened, he says. Uh, Verse one says, that which was from the, the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our own eyes, which we've looked at, our hands have touched. Look how sensory this is, right? This is the message we are proclaiming to you about the word of life. You can almost imagine John saying, look, I was there. I was sitting on that mountain overlooking the Sea of Galilee. My ears heard him say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I was standing there. I saw blind people be able to see. I saw lame people pick up their mats and walk home. I saw it. I, I was there. I, I leaned back upon his chest during the Last Supper. After he rose from the dead, I grasped his, his, his nail-scarred hands. I was there. Verse 2, John uses this word, appeared. And the word in the Greek gives us our, our English word, epiphany. It has as its root idea, this word appeared, has the idea of a sudden showering of light and clarity in the midst of the darkness. It has the idea of a mystery being brought out into the open. Perhaps you've seen that bright flare that a state trooper might use at the scene of an accident on the shoulder of a freeway. Uh, it's, it's, it's for the purpose of, of, of safety so that we can see the vehicle, the, the passengers on the side of the road. Jesus Christ appeared more than a flare. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus and said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. This is Jesus. This is the light. 
he reflects the light of his father. And listen to what verse 5 tells us about Jesus' father. This is the message. This is our, our sermon. This is what we talk about. This is what we have heard from Jesus and declare to you, God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. God is light. In a world that is mired in darkness, violence, hatred, moral chaos, division, you name it, God is light, pure light. First Timothy 6 says that God lives in, in unapproachable light. So why is it so important to the Apostle John to talk about light? Well, I think verses 3 and 4 kind of play this out for us. Light creates a community. We're drawn to the light. Light creates a community. Light creates a, a family. To, to, to use a, uh, an illustration, imagine people that gather around a, a campfire. And around that fire, we, we cook our food, we, we warm our hands, we see one another's faces. Light creates a community. Light creates fellowship. Look at verse 3. John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We've been talking a lot about this Greek word for fellowship. Uh, John talked about it a few weeks ago. Amy talked about it last week. Uh, and it's one of those Greek words that's, that even if you don't speak Greek, it's kind of important and helpful to know. And the word is koinonia. Koinonia kind of sounds like a Christian laundromat, doesn't it? Uh, uh, but koinonia, it's translated as fellowship. Uh, but, but sometimes when we say fellowship, we mean crock pots and, uh, you know, fried chicken and we're just kind of hanging out. But, but the word is deeper. The, the, the word is a sense of partnership. Um, one commentator said, you know, uh, John and his brother James and their father Zebedee, they, they had a partnership. They owned a fishing business. Uh, they were all shareholders in it. They all profited from it. They all worked hard at it together. They had a, a koinonia. They had a partnership with one another. Well, John wants us to know, the apostle John wants us to know that, that he is part of a deeper and more, and, 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 and eternal fellowship, a, a deeper and eternal partnership. He's a, a shareholder. He's an heir in the work of Christ on this earth. And so are you, and so am I. We are drawn to the light, and in the light, we have this fellowship, this partnership. A few weeks ago, we were on a staff retreat, and, and one of the things we talked about is the power of this partnership that we share in Christ. And one of the things we wondered about, one of the things we have been praying about is how many people in our community don't even know that this kind of partnership exists. How many people uh, in our community within a, a stone's throw? I mean, if they knew something like this existed, I mean, how, how much they would be drawn to the light and to the community that the light creates. The light of the world has entered our darkness, and it's become the center that we rally around. It's the campfire in the middle of our community. And, and, and John says in verse 4, when we experience it to its fullness, it brings us complete joy. And it brings us joy because it unites us with God the Father and with God the Son and with God the Holy Spirit. 
You know, I, um, thinking about us kind of praying for our students today and, and, and this uh, important uh, mission that they're on this week, I, I, I was privileged to grow up in a, in a Christian youth group. It was not perfect by any means. I, I could tell you stories uh, about students and adults. Uh, it was not perfect. But, but, but one of the things that I loved was the partnership that we shared. Uh, you see, when I went to my high school, uh, the, the, the cafeteria was, was basically segregated uh, by social class. I mean, it wasn't written down anywhere. There were no posted signs. But it was pretty well known that a member of the marching band could not walk over and sit at the football table. A member of the science club, even the president of the science club, could not sit at the cheerleader's table. Uh, It was not allowed. Uh, One table, by and large, did not have fellowship with another. There was no light in the center that drew everybody together. But in my youth group, on our best days, not on our worst days, and we had a lot of worst days, but on our best days, we didn't have those distinctions in our youth group. In other words, what I mean by that is that seventh graders could hold hands with with 12th graders and we could sing God's praise together. What I mean by that is that so-called nerds and so-called jocks could place their hands on one another's shoulders and pray for one another. Why? Because of koinonia, because of partnership. Because the light of the world, like a magnet, drew us not only closer to the light, but closer to one another. We were shareholders together. The most important part of our identity was not whether or not we played football on a Friday night or cheered on a Friday night. The most important part of our identity was that we were children of God, the God of light. Partnership, heirs, family. We rest in that. In Christ, we are people of light. We follow Jesus passionately together, shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm. But unfortunately, as you've already seen, it's not all good news in this passage. There's a problem that we struggle with, and we struggle with it inside the church as well as outside the church. And that problem, our problem, is the lure of the dark. The lure of darkness. Here's what's so disturbing about us sinful creatures is that we keep being drawn away from the light. We we keep slipping away from the campfire to go uh, where our deeds are not easily seen. Not only that, we tend to not be honest about the dark. We tend to not be honest about the dangers of spiritual darkness. We make claims The Apostle John says it shows how blind we are to the darkness in our own hearts. In fact, maybe you've noticed it three different times. John uses this phrase, if we claim, if we claim, if we claim. What kinds of false claims do people make about the darkness? I, I put it in two big categories. The first false claim is we pretend to love God while completely ignoring him. We pretend to be followers while we know in our heart of hearts we have no intention of following God. Here I think of the person who has fully embraced a deliberate lifestyle of sin and yet kind of has the God card in their wallet. Oh yeah, 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 I've got my uh, baptismal certificate right here, let me find it. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm in, oh yeah. 
Verse 6 says, if, if we claim fellowship with God and yet walk in darkness, a deliberate lifestyle, no intention of following him. One of the most famous movies of the 20th century, um, which I'm not endorsing like I endorse the Chosen, by the way, uh, is uh, Martin Scorsese's The Godfather. And there is a scene where Michael Corleone is participating in the baptism of his, grand, of his godson. And he's in church, and uh, he's all dressed up, and he's saying all the right words of the Catholic liturgy. And as the movie plays out, while he is saying these holy words, we see these scenes where one by one, all of his enemies are being killed at the same time. He's asked, do you renounce Satan? Yes, I do, he says with his words. He claims fellowship with God, but his actions further the darkness. Now I'm gonna guess, I'm gonna hope none of us are uh, heads of crime families today. I'm just gonna hope that. Uh, I'm, 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 that's my prayer at least. Um, but there's a second false claim, and if the first one didn't get you, uh, look out for this one. A second false claim is we can be dishonest about the sinful reality of our hearts and our actions. The first false claim is no intention of following God. Just, you know, it's a charade, but no heart intention. The second false claim is we, we, we think we're following God, but we haven't really examined our own hearts. We're much more convinced of our own holiness than, than God is. Uh, we, we have a hard time seeing the hidden sin in our own hearts. In John's day and throughout Christian history, some people have fallen in the camp of verse 8, which is like claimed to be without sin. Like they say, I'm, I'm, I'm sinless, or I stopped sinning uh, a year ago or two years ago. Uh, nobody's ever told me that, well, back in college. But it's been a long time since somebody said that to me. But, but, um, but, but, but can you imagine just like, oh, no, I don't sin anymore. Yeah. There's a story, it's perhaps it's apocryphal, that the great 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon had a man in his church who was like this. He, he said that he had stopped sinning. He, didn't, he no longer sinned. And so the story goes that Spurgeon invited him over for dinner. And the man, he said, tell me more about this, you know, you're, you, you, know you don't sin. And the man said, yeah, I'm sinless. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, Pastor Spurgeon picks up a glass of water and throws it in the man's face. And the man was highly indignant and expressed himself very forcefully about Spurgeon's lack of courtesy, to which Spurgeon allegedly replied, ah, I guess that old sin nature in you is not dead yet. It had only fainted and needed to be revived with a glass of water. <laughs> now, could be some of us fall in this category, I kind of doubt it, but I wonder if the bigger lure of the dark for so many of us today is, is in not denying we're without sin altogether, but it is in redefining certain favorite sins and making them not seem like sin anymore. That to me is, is the devastating claim of verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, let's say in a certain instance, if we claim what we did was not sinful when God's word says it is, then it's almost like we're making God out to be a liar and we're showing that the heart of his word is not really in our hearts. In, in his commentary on 1 John, uh, David Jackman talks about this. He says, sometimes we can stop calling sin by the name sin. 
we redefine it. And so we're not stealing, per se. We're just helping ourselves to some of the perks of the job uh, to counterbalance all the hours we overwork. And you see what I'm saying? We're not, no, no, it's not stealing. It's just enjoying some of the perks. We're not being selfish. We're just standing up for our rights. Doesn't it say that somewhere in the Bible? Uh, that we are to stand up for our rights? It doesn't. Um, we, we don't call it adultery. We just say that we're courageous enough to exit a lifeless marriage that had died a long time ago and to reunite with that soulmate from high school that the universe obviously meant us to be with. It's not adultery. We're just, we're living together to see if we're compatible because you shouldn't go into a decision like marriage without trying it out first. It's not anger when we yell at the 12-year-old referee at a soccer game. That's just mama bear, papa bear, defending our, our cub at the great injustice that has been done at a six-year-old rec league regular season game. We claim it's not sin, but guess what? The Bible begs to differ. Who's lying, John, John asked. Is Jesus lying? Is Jesus lying? Of course not. Of course not. And so what is, what is God doing? He's, he's opening our eyes to our own sinful nature. David Jackman, once again, I thought this was really helpful. He refers to it as, as kind of peeling back more and more layers of our sinfulness, almost like you'd peel the layers of an onion. And so we, uh, we ask for the Spirit's help. You don't do this alone, by the way. Uh, if, if you do this alone, it just results in shame. And the purpose of 1 John 1 is not that we live in shame. It's that we live in forgiveness and the light, okay? And so we only do this with Jesus. But we peel back the layers and we ask the light of Christ to expose the sin that we've redefined. I fear self-deception, don't you? I know that I can deceive myself. I remember one time hearing a really good axiom, uh, uh, which is never send an angry email until it's sat in your inbox overnight. And there have been times when I have followed that counsel. And the next day I read it and I'm like, who wrote this? Uh, you can't send this. This is so pompous and arrogant and mean-spirited. And you make logical leaps here. And you assume the worst about, you know. And I wrote it, right? But it was just, I just wrote it 24 hours earlier. But at the time I wrote it, I didn't see. I didn't see all that. You know what? Sometimes the next day I actually sent it. And I still didn't see. And by, I'm sorry, by the way. I'm really sorry about that uh, to those of you who have gotten those. I, I'm really sorry. But, uh, but th there is this tendency we have for, for self-deception, don't we? I, I wonder what it would look like for us today just to ask the Lord, Lord, investigate our claims. Investigate our claims. By the way, just to be real clear, none of this is about trying to shame anybody. This is about grace. This is about letting grace do its deep cleansing in our hearts. We're not trying to shame anybody. We're not trying to look at anybody. We're trying to look at our own hearts, okay? 
But what would it be like for you to ask God to help you look at your own heart? And maybe you're thinking like, Larry, I already feel bad enough. (laughs) You want me to peel back more layers and just feel worse and worse about myself? No. And that's why we've got to get to this third point. And this third point is for us to be light people, people drawn to the light, is for us to understand our privilege. And our privilege is the pathway back to the light. The privilege we have, the good news after the bad news, is the pathway back to the light. The wonderful promise that Jesus Christ is waiting to give us his mercy. Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light obviously doesn't mean being sinless. Walking in the light means inviting the blood of Jesus to cleanse us of our sin. And so we just turn our sinful souls toward the light, toward God's presence, toward God's truth. And guess what? When this happens, two really positive things happen. First of all, we can begin to have restored fellowship with one another because often when we're not walking in the light, when we're living in sin, it, guess what? It, 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 it negatively impacts our relationships with one another. But when in a spirit of confession and humility, it draws us back together. And then, of course, we experience the beautiful, purifying blood of Jesus that cleanses us. You know, it's like Jesus, we, we confess this sin, that sin, that sin, and Jesus says, my blood paid for that, my blood paid for that, my blood covers that. My blood covers that. You are completely clean. Maybe this is why when I was first learning what it means to be a Christian, some wise Sunday school teacher or, or, or student pastor uh, said, hey, I got a verse I want you to memorize. I want you to memorize 1 John 1, 9. I memorize it in a slightly different form. I memorize it if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a promise. This word confess, uh, in, 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 it literally in the Greek it means to say the same thing. To say the same thing. To be in agreement with God about our sin. Um, maybe um, uh, if, I'm kind of old school here, but I've always liked it in basketball when, when a whistle is blown on a clear, clear foul I've always liked it when the, when the player who committed the foul just raises their hand and kind of says, here's my name. <laughs> I, I agree with you, referee. I say the same thing as you. That was a foul. Um, we're in agreement. I confess. That's me. I did it. But how often the opposite happens, even with some of my favorite players in the NBA and the Dallas Mavericks. How often it's like, you know, what? I don't agree with you. I, you know, I, I, I want to argue this call. I want to say something different, referee, than what you say. How often this happens in life. Husband and wife are driving home from a party, and the wife says, honey, you, you were so rude at that party. And he says, no, I wasn't. She says, no, listen to me, you were. He says, I disagree. And it's yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, all the way home. No agreement. By the way, do you think that increases the fellowship husband and wife have? Of course not. But confession agrees with God. And it agrees with godly and wise people about the nature of our sin. It says, I agree with you, Holy Spirit. You've convicted me of the sin I agree with you. Please forgive me. 
And Christ not only forgives us, but he begins a process of purifying us as well. As we walk through 1 John, let's, let's ask God to draw us into the light. As you read chapter 2 this week, just pray that God would draw us more and more into the light. Ask God to remind you every day that it is our privilege to run to the cross and ask for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us deep down. And then let's invite others around the campfire. Let's invite others into the community that the light of Christ creates. I know a pastor uh, who was recently talking about what an amazing privilege it is to be the church. He pastors one of these older churches that literally has a, a cemetery that the church runs. And he says there's a volunteer in the church who, who volunteers to dig the graves. Uh, you know, I mean, wow. I mean, he volunteers to be a, a grave digger. He says that in, in their church, there's just, people are kind of from all walks of life and they enjoy an incredible fellowship. And he said one Sunday recently, he said he was preaching from Isaiah and it's one of these passages where God, as he often does, addresses Israel by name. And, and the preacher, to kind of to make the point, says, by the way, God addresses you by name. And he, begins to, he began to kind of call out different names of people in this congregation. It was just like, God says, I love you, Janet, you know. Uh, God says, I love you, Frank. He just starts kind of calling out names. And after about five or six names, there was a man um, who sat on the front pew and uh, he, he lived in a shelter, and his, um, his eyes were filled with tears. And he said, don't forget me. <laughs> Say my name. Say Randy. And the preacher looked down at him and said, God says, I love you, Randy. And the preacher said, what made this even more remarkable was that Randy was sitting next to a guy who makes a six-figure salary several times over. And the pastor said, tell me where else in America that happens. Truly, he says, I would be curious to know. Friends, that happens whenever we desperate sinners walk into the light. It happens when we discover our koinonia, our partnership in Christ. It happens whenever we walk toward the old rugged cross to find forgiveness and purity. Oh, Lord Jesus, you call us by name and you say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are light. In you there is no darkness. And in Christ, you have shared the light. People walking in darkness have seen and gathered around this great light of Christ, the light of the world. But oh Lord, how we can deceive ourselves about the darkness that's in us. Forgive us, Lord, forgive us. Purify us. Shower your mercy upon us. And Lord, increase our partnership for these students going on mission together Increase their partnership. Increase, Lord, our partnership. As by your grace, you draw us into the light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.